0: It is great to see you this morning, Um, and many, many visitors this morning. It is a pleasure to see new faces here worshiping with us this morning. I'm Father Morgan Reed. I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. We are a mission uh, in the Anglican Church in North America. We're a brand new church. Um, We've only been meeting weekly for about a year, uh, and we predominantly serve this area south of 495, Kind of where Springfield, Franconia, Kingstown, Fort Belvoir are. It's been a joy to serve in this area, to see what God's doing. Um, And it is a joy. I love Sundays like this one, where we get to watch somebody begin their journey in Christ. And we get to participate in that as a community. And it is such a great reminder to all of us, to what God promises to us in our baptism and what he calls us to in our baptism. And so these Sundays are an encouragement to us in our own life with Christ as well. And as we think about journeying through life, I was thinking a little bit this week about journeys and and hiking and things. And I was remembering something that I had heard a long time ago about how people wander when they're lost. I think I'd seen somebody's bumper sticker about not all who wander are lost. But I thought, yeah, but, like, if people are lost, lost, do they wander? You know, and so... (laughs) Um, so I did some research, and come to find out, back in 2009, back in Tübingen in Germany, there was a group of scientists that studied this very question. And what they discovered through this test is that, actually, yes, people wander when they're lost, and they go in circles. And it, you know, depending on the terrain, whether it's desert or flat forest, uh, people do eventually make their way in a circle if they're lost without navigation tools. And so what that ultimately means is that You and I are not built with an innate sense of navigation, an innate sense of direction. We actually can't go where we're meaning to go without navigation tools. And and I think what rings true about that uh, is that what is true in the physical world also feels very true in our spiritual world as well. That we are not innately going in the right direction. And so without navigation tools, we find ourselves... Going in circles spiritually through this world that we're trying to wander our way through. We don't know how to properly fit into the narrative of humanity that we are a part of. Like, what is this thing that we're a part of that's greater than ourselves? And we're trying to figure that out. We we don't know exactly what the good life looks like. We don't know how to rightly use creation, which includes our very bodies and the things we use our bodies for. We don't have a sense of what, we're, what we identify as. Like, what is our identity? And we, we look for salvation in the wrong places, like politics, like pleasures, like self-discovery and interest groups, um, roles in the family, even work. I mean, you can kind of see a taste of this in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, but it's true for all of us that with, without the right navigation tools, we circle, we wander in what feels like a trackless wasteland. We don't know the value of suffering either. And so as we're in those wandering periods, we try at all costs and in all ways to avoid suffering through, through different monetary resources. Uh, we don't know what the value of suffering is. But God has given us a guide guide, Um, And a destination. And that's what we find this morning in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12. The writer calls Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Pioneer, like he's the one who blazed the trail. And the perfecter, he's the one that shows us the destination, how to get there and what it looks like. And so when you and I feel really tired, like when we feel like giving up or when we don't know where to turn, We're told in this passage to keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on Jesus. We're to focus our gaze on Christ, and we're supposed to keep the saints in the periphery, this great cloud of witnesses, um, with the church community being the place where you and I learn dependence on God and the loving joy that is found for us in enduring faith. Jesus is our guide And the saints are our encouragement. The first two verses of this passage. Say that because we are surrounded. By so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight. And sin. Which clings so closely. And run with endurance. The race that's set before us. Looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith. And so when we think about this passage. The image that comes to mind. Is actually an athletic contest. And so if the Christian life is being compared to an athletic contest, then what the, the saints around us are pictured as is like this sea of humanity all around us who are not just spectators, but they're actually cheering us on in this contest. And as we look out at the great cloud of witnesses, as we can start to see out of that, what feels like nameless, faceless things, as we peer closer, we see individuals. Some of whose stories we know, some of whose names we know, some of whose names and stories will be lost to us on this side of eternity. And we will only later discover when we get to know them in the land beyond. And, and so they are cheering us on as those who have already won their contest. They've run their race successfully. And so we can look to them for help and we can look to them for encouragement. And I know a lot of you who are visiting this morning, especially for the baptism, are coming from the Roman Catholic tradition. And in the Anglican tradition, we actually use the word saint the same way that you'll be familiar with in the Roman Catholic Church. It refers to both anybody who follows Jesus, which is what you would find in the New Testament. And we use the term to refer to those who followed Jesus faithfully in a noteworthy way that the church has made note of for us. And so when you think of the great cloud of witnesses who have run this race well, it's entirely appropriate to think of those who you admire, who you know that run this race well, whether that's friends or relatives, those who have passed on from this life, who ran their course well, who died in the Lord and joined that great cloud. Um, It's also appropriate to imagine the saints, especially those who are commemorated in the church, in the church calendar. I just posted something last week for the St. Uh, St. Uh, Claire of Assisi's feast day uh, and as well. So you can read that on our Facebook page and on our Instagram. Um, you know, those are some among the great cloud of witnesses that we look to. And each of those saints has run their course well uh, and faithfully. And they show us something a little bit different because they're all different individuals They show us something different about the character of God. And they show us something different about what faithfulness looks like in different kinds of people. And so the saints point us to Jesus, um, who is called here the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And in our prayers each day, we should be reading the scriptures as part of our prayer life, especially the gospels, because the gospels really show us who This pioneer and perfecter is. The rest of the scriptures do as well, but we see it most clearly in the Gospels. Um, and also, I would encourage you if you have a copy of your 2019 Book of Common Prayer, uh, you can go to page 691 and you can find days for commemorating the saints of the church. Um, there are several resources to help with that. I asked my bishop about this, and it is true that eventually uh, they are working on a book called Lesser Feasts and Fasts for the ACNA. Uh, we don't have it out yet. It's all done with volunteers, so it takes a little longer for us. But in the meantime, I used the Episcopal version of that from 2006. It's called Lesser Feasts and Fasts. What it does is has a one-page summary of a saint's life some noteworthy things about them. And then on the other side, it gives us some scriptures to read for that day, and it gives us a collect to pray that highlight uh, what is noteworthy about that saint's life that we want to emulate, and so we can pray into those things. And so I would encourage you to incorporate commemorations into your daily prayer times on the appropriate days that those occur. I have found so much uh, surprising things in the saints as I read them, because they're really imperfect, just like me. Um, And so you will also be surprised at the ways that God surprises you with the readings around the different saints in the church. And I find that even if I were to go to the most evangelical of spaces, people love studying the lives of like C.S. Lewis and Diedrich Bonhoeffer, probably the Puritans. But man, if you're going to read them, how much more people who have been really helpful for like 1,500 years, like Athanasius, Macrina the Younger, Ephraim the Syrian, Benedict of Nursia, just to name like four out of a lot, you know. Um, These are people who have been helpful for thousands of years, so we want to make them part of our cloud of witnesses that we look at. Because Jesus completed the course, it shows us that there is actually value to our trials and our suffering. And the writer says that the Lord's discipline is only given to those that he loves. And we should find encouragement in that. One of the challenges with thinking about the connection of pain, suffering, and discipline is because we're familiar with stories of the misuse and abuse of discipline. And so we don't want to imagine God like that, but it it can be hard depending on one's background or the, the stories that one thinks of when we hear the word discipline. We can think of it as this reactionary or maybe impulsive thing that happens but it's different with God, the way that God does discipline. He always knows um, the goodness and the holiness that he wants to bring us into. He's never unaware, unacquainted with what that goodness and holiness looks like. And he wants to bring us into that experience. Uh, and And so by doing discipline, he, he's trying to bring us into that thing that he already knows he's bringing us into. It's meant to keep us from what distracts us from that vision. And it's meant to um, bring us into formation correctly. And one of the things that I love about this church from its very beginning, we have really wonderful kids in this church. It's so awesome. And if you were to walk into the nursery on any given Sunday, as awesome as our kids are, it's possible, just possible, that you might find one of the children push or hit one another to get a toy. You might. You you probably won't, but you might. Um, You might see a child bite another one or just scream profusely if they don't get something. This happens, right? Uh, But not that frequently here. Uh, (laughs) All all the parents are laughing. And, you know, because we're all trying to figure out how to give healthy boundaries to our children at various stages of their life? Like, you know, we're entering the stage now where discipline is actually part of the deal, uh, and that's really hard because we never had to do that before. And I know some of you are still wondering, like, now I'm a teenager, like, what do I do with that? Um, come for prayer. <laughs> so, um, we want to give healthy boundaries to the kids so that they're formed in the right ways as a positive, and to avoid the things that are harmful for them, you know, as the negative process of discipline is really challenging. It's, it's even painful, not just for the child, but for the parent. It can be really painful. Um, there are ways that children's desires come to outward expressions and ways that can harm themselves or others. Children often do the things that we might feel internally They do it outwardly. Um, And so there might be social lessons they need to learn in sharing things. There might be words that they should say, like please and thank you. There might be words they shouldn't say that are going to tear other people down. And so parents, uh, parental discipline should be this intentional act of love where the parents are forming children by putting up good boundaries to keep them from things that are going to harm them and providing helpful avenues for positive formation. And it's never done perfectly because you and I are spiritual children and we are all in need of formation, right? But when it's done well, it is a taste of the ways that God loves and disciplines us as children. And so I'm so grateful for the ways that this church is really um, patient and celebrates children, patient with children and celebrates children. And, And you embrace the fact that Children kind of learn at their own speed. And so, uh, you know, there have been any number of Sundays where babies cry in the service, where older children cry in the service. haven't had any adults cry that loudly in the service yet, but that may happen. You know, um, little feet are going to kick pews. Little mouths are going to whisper really loud. And, and little wiggle worms are going to make noise. And that, that is just part of being a big family of God. And, and not only that, but those are the signs of life. In a church, and I, I smile when I see them every week. Um, so if you're like, "Oh no, my kid's doing this," now it makes me smile. Like I celebrate that with you. It is great uh, because I know mine's going to do the same thing, and <laughs> I want you to celebrate that too. <laughs> And, and I really miss the kids when they're not here. You know, it's, it's summertime and so, so many people have been taking vacations. And I remember on service, that just felt so quiet. And it felt like something was, was missing that week. And so I really do miss that when it's not here. You know, these are the disciples of Jesus and they're the future of the church. And so that imperfect process of correction teaches us about the, the character of God and how he loves us. Trials are an invitation. They're an invitation to God's love. They're an invitation to the correction, of course. Um, There's a church father named St. Isaac the Syrian, also called St. Isaac of Nineveh. He wrote a document called Mystical Treatises about the 600s. So think the early Islamic period. And I love the ways that he speaks about trials. He's so eloquent. He's one of the only... Church Fathers in Syriac that was then translated into Greek because he's just so great. And um, about trials, he says this. He says, prepare your whole body and swim in them. The trials, swim in the trials with all your limbs, your eyes filled with tears so that you're found in them with your guardian. For without temptations, the care of God cannot be experienced and the confidence towards him cannot be achieved And the wisdom of the spirit cannot be learned. And the love of God is not settled in the soul. So like a parent, the care of God is known through the experience of trial. And it's not despite the experience of trial. It's not when everything is going good that we learn about God. It's when everything is really challenging that we learn about God. So trial is an invitation not to run away from God, but to cling more tightly to him. Because there's a promise in trial of deeper intimacy with him. And I often wonder, why trials? Why trials? Why do those have to be the mechanism by which we come to know the Lord more deeply? And I think, as I was thinking about that question, one of the things I was thinking about was the creation narrative. At the very beginning of the Bible, when Adam and Eve were created, they were perfectly dependent on the Creator. It almost feels like a divine parent, child, uh, and human child relationship. God is, God is their defender. He's their provider. He's their guardian. He's their sustainer. He's the one that gives them life. They are perfectly dependent on him. And so in that act of taking the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what they do is they introduce autonomy. I want things my way. I want to know what's good and bad without dependence on the creator. Um, I want to be able to do the things for myself that I used to depend on God doing for me at one point. In other words, I can do it myself. Now, it's cute when you hear that from, you know, your two or three year old. um, And and that's a good thing there. But in the in the case of creation where they were meant to be dependent on the creator of all things, this is actually uh, not a good introduction to life in, in humanity. What that did is it introduced a scenario where humanity is left on their own to fend for themselves, to define what's right and good, and to figure it out, and how to get to the thing that is good themselves. So the desire for autonomy is what leads to the spiritual wandering and circles that I talked about at the beginning um, in a trackless wilderness. And that's why so often in the Old Testament, trackless wilderness is often the phrase used for God's judgment, that God makes them wander in trackless wastes. It's for the purpose of repentance, but that's what autonomy does. So trials remind us of the utter failure of human autonomy, um, that I can't do the thing that I want to do on my own without the creator's uh, power and, and navigation tools. Um, when we step into the, into the grief and the pain of trials, knowing that we need God's help, and as we're honest about the ways that things feel really broken, that's where we start to take a step into the new creation life that God has for us. Because we're once again learning that our God, through Christ, is the creator, the sustainer, the life giver, the only one who can make all things new. And it's the one, he's the one that we depend on for all things. And that's why it's so important to enter trial with our eyes focused on Jesus, and, and to have in our peripheral vision the, the great cloud of witnesses, the, the community of saints around us. And each person in the church is connected to one another. Our stories are interwoven together on this journey. We're not a bunch of individuals who are disconnected. And so... Listen to the writer's conclusion in verses 12 through 14. It says, therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what's lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. I would imagine that this church that's receiving this letter uh, is probably filled with very discouraged people. Otherwise, a lot of the things that this writer would have said in this letter, he wouldn't have spent time saying. He spends a lot of time on encouragement, encouraging them to endure. So there were probably a lot of people who were feeling discouraged, really down. And in any given church that we enter into, that's not unlike the reality in any church. The church is filled with people who are feeling down or discouraged, depressed, angry, resentful, emotionally unhealthy, unstable, bound, by unhealthy family systems, unhealthy ways of communicating, feeling really unfulfilled, like our expectations are unmet, dissatisfied. You get the idea, right? It, the church was perfect until I got here, right? Uh, the church was perfect until you got here. Like, none of us are perfect. And so the church is filled with all of this. And, and so just like you need to bind up a sprained ankle uh, so that it doesn't become a worse injury, The church is in the business of binding up together what's broken, what's sprained, what's not healed um, when we come together corporately so that both individually and corporately, we move together towards the holiness that we need to see God, which is what this passage talks about. Care for one another is actually bound up with the ways that people experience the communion of saints, the great cloud of witnesses. The ways that you and I care for one another is one sort of entry point relationally to how people connect with the great cloud of witnesses as they are also struggling to keep their eyes on Jesus. And we encourage one another to keep our eyes on Jesus together. So today we get to celebrate a baptism. And there are so many wonderful things we're going to be reminded of uh, in that baptism. First, we're reminded that in baptism... We're granted something which, by nature, we can't have. And that pushes against our desire to be autonomous. Like, I can do this on my own. No, there are things by nature that that you cannot have, and you receive them in baptism. It's what we pray for. And we receive the light and love of the Lord, which we can't have by nature. We join together in prayer, and so Megan's going to be leading us in prayer um, for our candidate today. Um, as, and that reminds us of the ways that we're accountable uh, to support the Betways uh, in, the little, in our little Vivi's new life in Christ. And, and it reminds us of the ways that we're responsible to each other to support one another in prayer in our new lives in Christ. Um, she's actually starting today with this. Oh, she's already has been started in many ways, but today, even more in a more demarcated way, she is being introduced to the, uh, the many faithful witnesses around her in a very public way. And then after being baptized with water and receiving the sign of the cross and oil and receiving the light of Christ in the white garment that represent her new robes in Christ, we're going to give God thanks for several things bestowing uh, forgiveness of sins, adoption into God's household, becoming a member of Christ's body and being raised to a new life of grace. And then we're going to pray for the Lord to sustain her unto the enjoyment of everlasting salvation. And so in other words, she's really beginning her new life in Christ, which um, isn't a promise of ease, uh, but it is a promise of a course that's been plotted out before her. That there is a course to follow that has joy at the end. And, and the whole course is overseen by the loving care of God. And may she never know a day without knowing that oversight of God's loving care. Um, and she gets to see us, she gets to experience being surrounded by the communion of saints. Uh, those who have gone before us and those who are with her right now. Baptism reminds us that you and I are never alone in the church. We're not just a bunch of people who come here unconnected, uh, disconnected each week. Uh, We are never alone in the body of Christ. And um, it reminds us that we can embrace trials in faith. And that in embracing those trials with faith, we'll come to a deeper experience in growing in the love of God. And it reminds us that we should keep our focus in our gaze on Jesus, we should keep the saints in the periphery and the church becomes the community where you and I learn dependence on God and the loving joy that he has for us in that endurance of faith. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have knit together your elect in one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of your son. Give us grace so to follow your blessed saints and all virtuous and godly living, that we may come to those ineffable joys that you have prepared for those who truly love you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. Amen.